This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. The end is near. Oh no. Yeah. I guess that's what we're talking about tonight, Puka. It sure is. We will be talking about Time of Judgment. Thunderclaps. The final installment, not even a full book, just a chapter of Changeling. Mm -hmm. The end of the second edition, and indeed the rest of the old world of darkness that's, that's what i use this to like joke that changeling technically outlasted vampire right that is technically true yes <laughs> so but not mummy no mummy lasted the mummy will never die <laughs> nope so maybe do we need to give some context for forgive me the youth who might be listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah let's do a bit of context there so yeah the world of darkness had this whole throughout the games some of it stronger than others at different times than others but it was like you it is near the end times the world will be ending so it's time (laughs) and then when sales dropped enough i think related to the d20 boom i'm not sure anyway uh they ended the world and they did so by coming out with four books basic plus some associated novels and things like that I could argue some, there was like two game lines that were entirely about the world ending, but anyway. The, the actual ending was um, they had Gehenna, Apocalypse, and Ascension, right? That was the major one? Yeah, yeah. And then they had Time of Judgment for all the games that didn't sell as well. So those first three were like full books about the ending for each of those, each for Vampire, Werewolf, and Mage. And then they had Time of Judgment for each game got a chapter. How did you feel when you first learned that the lines were going to be truly finally ending at last? I was kind of excited. And then they said, there's going to be this new world darkness. Like, it's going to be amazing. They're going to do everything better than I, (sighs) which was called world of darkness, just to make it more confusing. (laughs) Uh, They didn't come up with a new name for the setting until I think it was Paradox's idea, right? Does change. Oh, I thought it was Onyx Path, but whenever the second editions started coming out. No. That makes sense though, yeah. It wasn't, I mean, Onyx Path was involved for a while before they got, I don't know who presented it, but yeah. the Onyx Path was involved for some time before it happened. But yeah, so yeah. what's now called Chronicles of Darkness came out, which is a different setting, although similar enough that they'd probably get sued for most of their game lines if they didn't, if they weren't <laughs> the same company doing. And uh, yeah, they just sort of ended it, except for some random mage books. <laughs> Until the 20th anniversary, which they just wanted to make for Vampire, and then that was such a big success that they brought everything back, and then Paradox bought White Wolf, basically, and then... The, the rest, as they say, is history. Or or future history, because we don't really know how this will all end, yeah. what will happen next. But this ended here, so this was published in... 2004, I think. Yeah. March 2004 was, because Gehenna was January, Apocalypse mm-hmm. was February, Ascension, and Time of Judgment were March. Yeah. So, like, I think if we talk about strictly chronologically the Changeling-associated books, we've skipped some, but at least one. But that's fine. This was the Changeling proper. This was the last. Yeah. 
And it was like a big company-wide event where they brought in Demon to unify the cosmology and basically set up the pins just so they could be knocked down. And there was mm-hmm. like the news ticker on the website and there were all the meta plot books. And I still feel a little bit like betrayed. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of what you were pointing to, like in terms of the state of the industry and everything, I understand why they did it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know. They went it with a bang instead of a whimper. Which... It takes some, I don't know if we can call it courage or not, but it takes something to do that. Yeah. And I'm not sure their goals for the new World of Darkness. Is, well, they just called it World of Darkness just to make it very confusing. People would say old and new World of Darkness just to try to differentiate them, but like they never branding wise did that. Still would have been nice to get a full book for Changeling, but whatever. Y- yeah. But well, and Wraith. Well, Wraith, Wraith got its full Wraith, book yeah, Wraith beforehand, <laughs> but it got one like way before. Like that yeah. was ends of an empire so yeah i forgot yeah wraith got another full book before the rest of them did maybe that was inspiration i don't know would what do you want to give like a brief overview of what the book is i know we're just gonna be doing the changeling chapter but just say what's the other yeah so in addition to changeling it covers demon the fallen hunter the reckoning kindred of the east and mummy the resurrection and there's kind of a demon flavored frame story and Mm -hmm. the introduction i think basically just says with more words what you just did spelling out kind of like yeah we've Mm -hmm. been building up to this for a long time so we're going to keep our word and actually end the world push the reset button yeah yeah but there's no like through line between Mm -hmm. the chapters in this book they're all kind of self-contained this was the they think there's enough fans of the five games to sell right (laughs) that that was the through line and they were right so yeah among the authors, we have Pete Woodworth in here. I don't recognize any of the other names in relation to Changeling, so I kind of assume he just wrote it on his own. Well, there's another name from Changeling, but in this one. Oh, I'm not looking at the developers list. <laughs> but among authors. I mean, there's other ones I've seen, like like Chuck Wendig did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, or, or like Greg Stoltz or whoever, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Michael Goodwin. Yeah. It's unclear. Yeah, I don't actually know who wrote the Changeling chapter. Or if it was one person, multiple people. Well, Pete was certainly involved because... Yes, it was at least Pete. We, I don't know if there was yes. anyone else. Pete et al. Yeah. Also in the introduction, we have a list of inspirational media, which is like, uh, okay. This was a, it, it doesn't say for which games, and you're like, well, I'm guessing Never Ending Story, which which game are they saying that one's for? But no, they say Neverwhere's for Changeling, but they don't say Never Ending Story. I'm like, okay, yeah. I guess that's for Mummy, right? And then... Why I didn't know that David Duchovny was in The Rapture. Um, I never heard of this book, that movie before I saw this. <laughs> Add it to the watch list. <laughs> also, it maybe goes without saying, but this is a very storyteller-focused book because it's essentially about how mm-hmm. to, I'm going to say, coerce your gaming group into running a chronicle where the world ends. Because <laughs> I know that for everyone I was gaming with, none of us were ready for the old world of darkness to end, but... I guess there must have been some folks out there who were. Well, he didn't have to end it. Like it's true. Said, yeah. re- repeatedly, they don't. They're not going to take away your books, right? It's just no new books. But and we'll get into that a little bit because some of the scenarios for Changeling, in particular, do kind of leave things, I think, mm-hmm. satisfyingly open-ended in some ways. Yes. Then one of them doesn't count as an end of the world. That's another story. So let's dive into the Changeling chapter. Let's do it. Chapter one. Endless winter. I love that it starts with a quote from. Neil Gaiman's The Sweeper of Dreams, because that is a creepy-ass story. I love it. And it's The Day True Thomas Lost His Voice is the opening fiction. Yeah, so we have 
Caridwen the Fox Puka, yeah. presumably resident at Taranar, having an incident with one of her cantrips at a sledding party that's been chaperoned by True Thomas. This was written by the fur, I'm guessing. Potentially. So she talks about how when she tried to like do a hopscotch cantrip while sledding or whatever, the dreaming seemed to retreat. And when she looked at the hill, she just saw a big nothing. And then True Thomas starts muttering about the end and winter and she gets freaked out. Um, Mm -hmm. It's also another one of those fictions where it's a puka and the unreliability of the narrator is repeatedly highlighted. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always with those kind of things. I'm like, the way they're told, I'm like, um, there's a little bit of puka ease in there, but not much. <laughs> it's enough straight talk that I'm like, it's like Kith Book Puka. It's like, are any of the problems with Kith Book Puka people might have? Just it was completely fabricated. <laughs> mm. Maybe she spent a point of willpower before recounting all of them. Yes. Well, I mean, there's definitely parts that seemed pretty important. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So True Thomas loses his power of speech during one of Queen Mab's like, dinner parties and says, there are no more stories to tell. And then he gets thrown in the dungeon for refusing to tell tales, but mm-hmm. Caridwen visits him and learns that Endless Winter is coming. Quite abruptly, it seems. So what do you think of the art of True Thomas here on page 20? Yeah, that's a choice. I, nice top knot. It doesn't really fit the rest of True Thomas we got earlier no. in previous books. I think this is called uh, Art Direction to not... It's a fine picture. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's the opening fiction. It's fine, I guess. Makes Queen Mab... Was it Queen Mab who threw him in? Yeah. Makes her seem extra terrible. Uh. Well, again, with the metaplot situation, it's unclear how much war in Concordia is supposed to be going on right now, so mm-hmm. she might just be a bit grumpy. Yep. Maybe she's been battling. So then we get the uh, introduction. A little yes. summary of the Fae and their struggle to keep alive fragile notions. Mm-hmm. We get a metaplot summary of the whole David thing again yeah but also the fomorian thing and yeah that's true the triumph cask of sorrows that MacGuffin that we really never get any solid details on yeah. it's like five paragraphs one of them only one line long the entire meta plot so it's not too yeah and compared to some of the meta plots for the other games that's refreshingly brief yeah so if you wanted to do a, a retcon game and go back to 2003 2004 and run a chronicle you have everything you need right here on page 21 and then we get to, this is the third time I've properly sat down and read this chapter. Yeah. And I think this is the first time I've actually understood what they're doing. This is a confusing setup, but we'll get into this. Uh, Did you notice, incidentally, that page 21 acknowledges flat out the difference of opinion about whether winter should be banality or dark glamour? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yes, finally. Thank you. Confusion yeah, in not, game as well as out. Like, don't conflate them as it's the same thing like some other yeah. did, but... But I do, I do think the description where they talk about the Fomorians, if they come, they will rule with absolute power and cruelty, is the line. Mm-hmm. That is a nice, like, dark glamour and banality simultaneously kind of idea. Yeah. You know, it might not be complete banality, but it'd be like uh, eternal ravaging, so. Yeah. Close enough. Not pleasant. Mm-hmm. So it starts with a, yeah, build-up. Yep. Where they talk about how to start going down this. And the whole thing they get into is like, none of these scenarios are just jump right right into the scenario. They all seem designed for like, you already kind of have a chronicle going. Mm-hmm. Personalize it. Yeah. Even if you start a chronicle with the goal of making the end of the world, don't make it about the end of the world right away. Yeah. They then give us 
elements divided into three sections that you can incorporate to create a mood of like mm-hmm. apocalyptic eeriness and impending horror. So under foreshadowing, the first few, there's prescient nightmares that characters have and it's like, oh, the end times are coming. And you can reinforce this in the setting with introducing the red star, which we've seen allusions to it in the books, but not really like spelled out what it is. And it doesn't really get much better here, but yeah, the most was in denizens of the dreaming, but yeah, it's a thing that's across the world of darkness too. So it's kind of a weird, like it was a vampire thing. It's a big red star that appeared and everyone noticed, but not humans. Right. So it must be spoopy. Mm -hmm. Then prophecy fails. where just soothsay doesn't really work. Or alternatively, soothsay just shows you doom and nothing else. Just horrible doom. Errant trods, where trods become unstable and unreliable and dangerous. The silver path might not be where you thought it was. And dreams deferred, which is just that people aren't sleeping well. So shortly before starting the read of this, I rewatched the Next Generation episode, Night Terrors. Mm. And even though it's maybe not a great episode, that whole notion of like, what not dreaming can do to people was very much on my mind. And I was like, yeah, that would be, that would be kind of freaky. Mm-hmm. So Then there's imminent change, the rising storm, where phenomena are clearly out of the ordinary. Oh, just to be clear, these are ideas you could do. It's not saying do all these things in your chronicle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So these will, these will be introduced later. Like for each of the scenarios, they say, oh, you should consider introducing mm-hmm. these three or four elements from yep. this list of 10. So there's cantrips and flux, where they're either shadows of their former selves or much more powerful than usual. Shallowings, where the autumn world and the dreaming overlap without warning. And tabloid life, where humanity itself begins to notice that things are kind of out of the ordinary, which causes society to fray and paranoia to rise as the mists blur, mm-hmm. which I kind of liked. I think that's a good aspect. Yep. And then judgment has come, which... The storm breaks, which sounds like it should be the apocalypse scenario, but this is still before yeah. the apocalypse scenarios. <laughs> yeah, the world fills with panic and riot and religion. Mm-hmm. We have the death of the new, where the human capacity to devise anything original is lost. I feel like that's a lot deeper than this little three-paragraph write-up really gives it credit for, and I wish there was like mm-hmm. an entire game around that. Yeah, what glamour and banality <laughs> is from this chapter, I think it's deliberately all over the place. Or yeah. Well, lots of options for different tables Mm -hmm. takes on it. Then the mists in flux, where they might completely evaporate around a changeling, exposing them to the world, or grow too strong, causing them to be ignored by mortals or shunted into the dreaming. And last, but certainly not least, we get the tithed ones at last. We talked about these a little bit previously, but they're presented here as the mortal souls displaced by the she, they come back very powerful and very angry, hunting down and assassinating. And they're like super ninjas. Yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. But maybe working the, for the Fomorians. And maybe just a Fomorian trick as well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not for the Fomorians, but yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So those are the elements. We then also have this little write-up about direction where it's kind of like, oh, it's up to you as the storyteller whether or not you want to have the hope of spring or not in the end, and the level of glamour that you want Mm -hmm. to have in the game. There's a dying dream, which is glamour's fading, or blaze of glory, which is just what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. But blaze of glory, be careful not to make it 
just be like, oh, everything's better now. Yeah, there should definitely be a sense of foreboding. And even if you come out the other side, it's not going to be like mm-hmm. it was. And overall, I I don't know that I would ever run an apocalypse game or apocalyptic, I guess I should say, because I would run mm-hmm. Werewolf. But I think it's decent advice overall about keeping it personalized, definitely. I would use a bunch of this. Like, I don't know if I'd run an end of the world game either. Yeah. But I like throwing in, like, World of Darkness in general, and Changeling in general has had this, but it's like, I think this is, gives you more ideas for, like, you can still edge the clock towards Doomsday, even if you never hit Strike 12 in your Chronicle. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's some nice ideas here on how to do that. Yeah. And then we get some scenarios. Yep. So we get the Crown of Shadows. The meta plot ending. Yeah, the Concordia meta plot ending. My biggest complaint about this, it's about Concordia. It's not about the world. Yeah. It doesn't even have a little blurb at the end with somebody taking over the world. Like, it's... That's not the end of the world. <laughs> that's just the end of Concordia. There is a blurb, though, that Milget has set his sights on what comes next. So he might oh, eventually okay. try to take over the world. But, yeah, it, yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't really incorporate that directly. Okay, so how... If you want to understand, listen to our War in Concordia and other episodes talking about it. Because I don't think we should give too much backstory to explain this. This will be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so the stuff that we haven't yet been told is that, and I think this kind of contravenes War in Concordia a bit because the implication mm-hmm. there is, spoiler, the secret identity of Nile Peacemaker is that he's David. But Yeah. Well, I think this is, the way they were bringing it up, it could have gone either way. This is the, mm. it's going yes. terrible. <laughs> yeah. So in this version, Nile Peacemaker is probably not David because Milka has apparently been keeping him captive. I'm not exactly sure how he orchestrated this sequence of events, but basically, Mm -hmm. Feralith is running things and facing a lot of challenges. Milka gets David to come out of his stupor long enough to abdicate to Feralith in his right mind, heavy quotes on that, so that just as she makes this impassioned speech before the Parliament of Dreams, Caliburn appears in front of her and it's like, oh, she's been chosen. I'm like, how did he time it that perfectly? I'm not exactly clear on that. <laughs> anyway, he then moves into the palace to be her counselor and gets power of Faeturni over her. He then releases David and becharms him into believing Fairlith has stolen the throne through witchcraft so that he comes and slays her. In turn, he challenges David to a duel, slaying him via his champion or right-hand man, I guess. And then he ascends the throne and begins to bring Winter in. So that's yep. the broad strokes. So what do you think of that story? I'm generally not a fan of like Blofeld level master planners or like Xanatos Gambit or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Or foes who just seem to have every unassailable advantage. Yep. I guess though for players who like political games. So I think what was difficult for me in this is sussing out the player's role. Yeah, that's. I think if if there was like a prestige streaming drama made today of changing the dreaming, and this could work great for like a season or two, right? But unless you're playing, you can't even be like a king or queen, and for this to work, like player characters king or queen, like this is just not the main character is the bad guy who's yeah. It's it's like Richard the Third, but if Richard the Third had a happy ending or something, like it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's yeah. The player characters have no role in the story. So that's my yeah. problem with it. Interestingly, now that I'm like sitting here talking about it, something that occurs to me for a possible, I don't know, way forward. So the suggested elements for the scenario are the Red Star, 
dreams deferred, nobody sleeping well, prophecy fails, mm-hmm. and tabloid life. And it's that last one where it's humans are beginning to pick up on some of the machinations of the Fae. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, ah, what if the players somehow exposed the king to like mortal authorities? Because then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, they can certainly deal with him one way or another. Yep. But yeah, beyond that... Like, I could use this as the, oh, you're in the far corners. Like, I mean, I usually set things in Kingdom of Northern Nice, right? So it's like, you're pretty far outside of it, and now things have gone terrible, and we're just making the setting darker. Right. Sure, but the players wouldn't know most of this stuff had happened. Right, right. They just know this guy's in charge now, and things are going terrible. You kind of have to have already had your game involved with the meta plot in order for this to really Mm -hmm. be pulled off. But also... What are they supposed to do, like, with this? This doesn't... Yeah. Do we get stats for Melge in an earlier book? No. Yeah. We did not. (laughs) So the book suggests the players are meant to, like, catch bits of information and get little glimpses that can expose him, but it gets harder and harder to do so as he consolidates power. His goal is to have, like, a controlled winter where the Fae depend Mm -hmm. on him for glamour and obey out of fear of the Shadow Court. But at the same time... I can't imagine Mab and Morwen and Lenore would all just give up. Like, no. You know? No, like, this would Out be... of nowhere, his ward dies and he pulls out this document and it's like, oh, I guess I'm High King now. Like, wait, who signed this? When? Why? I mean, he's got Caliburn. It's not like he'd, he'd have no claim, but... Did, didn't he just pick it up, though? Like... Yeah, because it went to him because what's-her-face had it semi-legitimately. It went to her and then it went to him. Like, that's yeah, fine. I guess I feel like a lot of people more connected and more powerful than the motley would be asking questions like up front yes unless you're playing mab and her or lenore and her gang like that's you wanted six dots of title there you go yeah the book also notes that just killing him won't suffice on its own since he has lots of cronies and i'm like well there goes that option unless you do it really early but yeah Anyway, so it's a it's a political option. It's an option if you're into mm-hmm. the meta plot. Yeah. I think of it as like one way the Warren Concordia plot could end, I guess. Yeah. But unless it's just a decent backdrop, it's not a great actual plot line for your game, I don't think. It is also worth pointing out that unlike the big three books, I think, and I'd, I'd have to go back mm-hmm. and look at the other chapters in this one, I don't think these five scenarios are mutually exclusive either. Some no. of them work better together than others. Yeah. But don't put them all together in the Not all ones. together, no. It's like it's like when we did Harbingers <laughs> of Winter. Don't use everything in that in your chronicle. That would, no. <laughs> but you could combine this with another one. Yeah. And you could say like, okay, yeah. in Northern Ice, we're dealing with this situation while yeah. down in Kingdom of Willows, this scenario is happening. So. Or maybe like, Melge is about to take over and then the something else attacks. Yeah. Well, speaking of something else attacks. Yeah gods and monsters the epic battle ending actually this one and the later Toha are have an inconsistency that bugs me mm. between them and not just like you couldn't use them together but it's anyway do you want to get to summarize yeah it? so this is the fight the fomorians head on scenario mm-hmm. and similar to the advice we got earlier on the book i think wisely encourages paying attention to little details so that mm-hmm. the ramp up to these big battles feels more believable yeah Although i really love the visual in here of like a gloam raising up the rocky mountains to fight dragons made of hurricanes or whatever it is yeah they say use you know if the war in concordia mass combat rules i thought had any confidence of them working well <laughs> then yes use those in here but yeah 
So the elements suggested are the red star, dreams deferred, seen both of those in the last one, cantrips and flux, and shallowings, optionally the tithed ones as well. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I think the red star is kind of like the big one because yeah. it spells out that it flares to triple brightness and causes glamour to surge to like mythic age levels and the mists to fall. Yeah, it's the Eye of Baylor. <laughs> yeah. And they call it the transformation with the capital T. So we get a few terms like that yeah. popping up in here. Humans and optionally prodigals fall into a deep sleep for a full week as soon as it's safe for them to do so before waking up to a new world where basically the, I guess, far dreaming has come to Earth. So it's things like the first stage of the augment applies to all changelings, cantrips don't require bunks, glamour refreshes automatically, but then also oaths carry more weight and cold iron is even more intense, although other forms of banality are suspended. Mm -hmm. There are numerous forces that come together Battle of Five Armies style. The book suggests as possibilities ancient Inanime, uh, restored nations of Nunyahi, hordes of Adin, legendary Chimera. And ultimately, they're all kind of brought together and sorted into whether they would stand with the Tuha or the Fomorians. It's not really spelled out how this would be determined. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like an inner nature thing or something. Yeah, it did this weird, like, let's turn it into American Civil War thing with, like, brother against brother or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, your former red cat best friend might now be set against you. Mm-hmm. But then the Fomorians turn up, and yep. then it's an all-out battle game. Mm-hmm. Although they need not actually be on the battlefield, except maybe the white court. It's... And I mean, I think, if there's a little sidebar here, it says, what about the Duaha? And that's what makes me mm-hmm. we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, I I kind of like the sidebar because it's saying they shouldn't be front and center because otherwise the characters will necessarily take backstage. That being said, how could they not at this scale of conflict? (laughs) Well, it's also since we have another story about making the Tawa front front and center. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it also says, oh, they're too powerful. They wouldn't the players wouldn't have any influence. And I'm like, then anyway. There's also the suggestion not to let this turn into Fayhammer 30k. So shout out to certain Discord members mm-hmm. um, and to allow story and character to take precedence yeah. over like moving miniatures around. On uh, although if Paradox did want to create a war game based on Change of the Dreaming around this scenario with the little figurines, I think that might finally get me into buying those. So <laughs> potentially, I would do it. I would do it if they mashed it up with a remake of the Arcadia: The Wild Hunt game. Yeah, if they could get that to work, then I'd be in. Hmm. Making note on the side. Okay. Um, yeah. So the outcomes, a lot of them seem to hinge on the Triumph Cask of Sorrow. <laughs> yeah. I wish we got Keys of the Kingdom that would tell us what was in the... Yeah, that actually if, only, works. if only we gotten that. But it's said that the cask can burn half the world to ash, and the Fomorians, if they are triumphant, will use it so that they can rule as tyrants over the rest. The Tuaha might be victorious by bestowing the cask at their children's darkest hour. I do like the trope that evil can never be completely destroyed, so the Fomorians can only be driven back to the deep dreaming. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. Although, they can be driven further than that. I mean, where did the Tuaha go? They went further than the deep dreaming, right? So. Well, they went to the deepest, I suppose. Yeah. And then there's also mutual annihilation, especially if the war drags on long enough that mortals pay enough attention and start trying to use weapons of mass destruction. So I feel like those are going to stop the Fomorian. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Well, then it's the whole world is ash rather than just half. Mm-hmm. So. 
So the book suggests attending to how much in the thick of the action you want the characters to be. It's a good mm-hmm. opportunity to bring together lots of old allies and friends and even frenemies and having the appropriate moment to drop the plot device of the cask. If the two sides haven't annihilated each other, the transformation slowly reverses, but humanity is now aware of the Fae for good or ill. So this is one of the more reasonable, the world will mm-hmm. carry on kind of scenarios. Yeah, I still don't quite understand why they do the mists thing. And like all the mortals are asleep, most prodigals. And then they just wake up in the middle of the foot. Oh, anyway. The timing is unclear. My sort of yeah. read on it was when they wake up, like the battle hasn't yet started. They're just kind of mm-hmm. like in this new glamour soaked world. And then the Fomorians come. But yeah, yeah it's unclear. I think they could have just not done them falling asleep and they're just in this glamour soaked world and they're like, what's going on? And then change the companions. Oh, this is what the plot is. Oh, wait, there's the Fomorians? Like, I guess maybe anyway. because like they had to go to sleep so that all these changes could take place because otherwise their disbelief would force it back. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it has some sort of metaphysical argument that I don't really... It's like, but them yeah. being asleep made it work? Uh, anyway. So that's, uh, that's that one. Yep. And then we have Pick Your Poison. The banality ending, where science takes over completely and squashes <sighs> dreams. And then gets into but it's only some science, obviously. At least it says science is only bad when it tells you something's not true. And then it's like saying things like, oh, people are so much less inclined to do art or anything creative now than they were back before science. I'm like, no? Anyway. Thanks. I mean, I will say <sighs> higher education they certainly are pushing STEM at the expense of a lot of the stuff that I teach. <laughs> sure. But it's not like inventing STEM is what, yeah, it's like, of course. back in the... STEM like, itself is not the problem, for sure. <laughs> no, and it's and that's a pretty recent push, too. Yeah. Like, they're talking about, oh, the invention, back before science was a thing. <laughs> People died a lot younger. <laughs> well, no, but also saying everyone was more creative and artistic and they spent more time doing art. I'm like, yeah. I really don't think that's true, but yeah in any case suggested elements for this one include dreams deferred cantrips and flux Mm -hmm. and shallowings i would say as a scenario it kind of relies on an established fragility of the dreaming and Mm -hmm. having science be oppressive it also requires another capital letter term rift that finally decisively separates the dreaming Mm -hmm. from the autumn world for mortals either abruptly or slowly the suggestions include things like science proving that life on other planets is impossible or that life Mm -hmm. after death is impossible i think of it like a banality resurgence it's like a momentous worldwide event that's just so banal it completely shuts off the dreaming forever i think the suggestion here you could strip out the science focus and it still work it it yeah be the same yeah yeah that's what i would do but (laughs) and then the choice becomes to either make do in this new world or find a way to reestablish the connection to the mm-hmm. dreaming. So yeah, it's like a bigger shattering, but yeah. you also get these zone. Yeah. These zones of banality where you can't, you just simply forget who you are. If you're in them, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. There's notes that the dreaming does have a self-preservation instinct that can help characters realize what's going on. So like helpful mm-hmm. chimera turn up to give clues. We finally have a reason for house Liam to pull its weight where yep. Fey wise in the ways of mortals can help spell it out. And then there's a note, which I think should have actually been front and center where it says, Oh, this story can be like very localized, like rather than being a sweeping yep. 
Concordia spanning story. It's like, oh, maybe this is just your town where your freehold is. And I, I think that is what could make it work best. Yeah, this is one of those, like, as written, I don't like it, but it takes very few tweaks for me to go, oh, if I were to, yeah. I could see myself maybe doing this as like a... Yeah, because it's these are the themes that I come to Changeling for, frankly, is like mm-hmm. those more nuanced interactions between belief and disbelief, humanity and the Fae. Mm-hmm. And so I want to like... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd also do that. I think one other tweak I'd make, but this is less required than the science thing, but like maybe don't have it the dreaming separated maybe this is actually killing the bits of the dreaming it's, mm. it seems yeah. more like you can't just retreat to the dreaming no the dreaming's getting hurt by this too yeah so they give this example of a troll named katrina mcgregor appleyum she has this halfway house for abuse victims and their whole space seems unaffected by the decay of glamour worldwide the explanation is that like besides her oath to stay on earth she also has empathy for her charges Mm -hmm. and if the characters stay there and meet her they can come to understand that which apparently is kind of like the key to jump starting the dreaming again to like reacquaint themselves with Mm -hmm. mortal needs and mortal dreams i'm trying to figure she's talking about her having supernatural empathy i'm like well i want stats for this right (laughs) (laughs) a troll with supernatural empathy you no, know, you, you use the use the mummy rules with like stats yeah. of five for giving you superpowers, but like with empathy. Yeah. The book also reminds us that without the dreaming, and this ties back into the dream's deferred element, mortals can't sleep peacefully, they get restless and irritable, etc. So there is kind of mm-hmm. a clock running on this um, mm-hmm. in terms of how much time they have. And it kind of spirals, yeah. Yeah. And spreads. There's suggestions about like, oh, you could increase cantrip difficulties have them get stuck in mortal seeming for longer and longer periods. Failure leads to the undoing of the motley, but then yeah. success reestablishes the local dreaming, which must then be nourished and maintained and grown after which there's still a lot of work to be done worldwide. And I, I do kind of, I kind of like that. I mean, I, I just, this makes me have a, a really silly idea for if you did an end of world, so you start out in C20 and then you end up with like 2e magic like banality rules and stuff and then it like eventually gets to like 1e where you can't even call upon the weird anymore and cantrip cards <laughs> i don't i don't know if bunk cards really is is increasing banality but that's no yeah that would be interesting changeling the retconning yep i i wish this one didn't lean so heavily into the anti-science stuff because mm-hmm without that. yeah it's like the framing pisses me off but the actual yeah the meat of it i'm like yeah this... i think it's good for small scale and or meditative mm-hmm. local level games which are the kinds of games that i like to run but mm-hmm. it doesn't really model what a fully banal world would truly look like yeah because you'd have these little individual um what are they called refugia in biology when it's like the last place a population lives mm. So you have these little isolated pockets which have to coordinate with each other. 20 years later, it actually seems like it might be pretty easy to dig out of that hole because it's like, oh, well, our cantrips aren't working, but we can just text our friends. Yeah, but you still can't <laughs> travel. Like you can you can talk to others, but you couldn't like yeah, but send someone to help things. Yeah. But if the idea is that each of you is slowly growing your individual dreamings until they eventually yeah. reconnect, I feel like... It's mm-hmm. easier to do that with cell phones. I don't know. Yeah, internet and Discord yeah. and podcasts. 
So maybe this one would be actually good to combine with another apocalyptic scenario yeah. where those things are no longer a given. Or you could do this as a winnable end of the world. Yeah. We should even talk about this. Is like Even it's written, it's winnable potentially is one way to do it. Yep. As is potentially the next one. Yeah. The Great Purge. The Oh No ending. Yeah, this is the one where it was like, oh, the Toha are great and lovely and everybody loves them and they're perfect. Nope. Not so much. So there was an, yeah, there was an oath they didn't tell you about for this story. This is not canonical necessarily. Uh, never to mingle Fey and mortal blood. Surprise! They don't mention Kinane in this story, but they should. <laughs> yeah, tough luck for them. Mm-hmm. So yes, the Tuatha send these scouts periodically to check up on things, and presumably they haven't visited Earth since the Shattering because Earth is just crawling with changelings now, and they're in offense against yep. nature and the dreaming. The scouts, meanwhile, are basically gods. Yep, and they're the lesser Tuatha. They're immortal. They don't need bunks. They don't get affected by banality. I'm not really sure why they're not affected by banality, but they're not. And they're cloaked mm-hmm. by the mists. So when they arrive, they want help navigating the mortal world. And if the characters provide it, they might learn that the report the scouts will file will probably lead to the extermination of all the Cathane. Mm-hmm. Bummer. So they can either try to convince the scouts to file false reports, try and get them over to their side, or get some inside information so that they'll be able to avoid the coming purge. But the scouts will almost certainly not break their sacred oaths of their own volition. Mm-hmm. There's also the suggested elements of errant trods and tithed ones, the latter of which it's suggested could be the scouts as well. Or not the not the scouts, the um, assassins, basically, who come yeah. back. So yeah, the actual purge then happens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the actual purge happens, and maybe you could hide by hiding in your banality or hiding deep in the dreaming or something. Maybe you can try to quince the quince to let go of the oath, or probably not going to beat the Tuaha, but... No, most likely no. They say that when the Tuaha start kind of like rampaging through, mortals are cowering and hiding, and even mm-hmm. without realizing it, putting up old um, charms like hanging iron in the doorway and stuff to keep mm-hmm. them at bay but what if a changeling just retreated into their mortal seeming and stayed in the house with these mortals that's what it actually said basically you could do no you could basically hide yourself in said that in your banality yeah so i like the idea that even if the characters die they may reincarnate thereby proving the dreaming supports Mm -hmm. the changeling way even if the two don't and it's it is certainly one way to definitively end the world in a big way while still keeping the setting moving forward so Mm -hmm. i dig that or they might just be reborn in Arcadia and seek revenge in the dreaming or something. Or if they survive the storm, then the ones who are left will just have oodles of glamour for the taking. Yep. Look at all these freeholds that need someone to protect them and nurture them and get glamour from them. Oh, there is also a note in uh, the sidebar about the oath on page 40 where it points out that even if the sacred oath is lifted, a new one will have to take its place because the dreaming needs oaths to stay in contact mm. with Earth. I'm like, that's yep. pretty interesting. Very Dark Ages Fae-ish. Yeah. So, and that's the aftermath of this one is what I find most interesting, or yeah. the potential aftermaths. I actually started running a game before it sort of fell apart, but the plot was inspired. It was not this exact. It was inspired by gods and monsters. Hmm. The Great Purge, especially the stuff with the scouts, and then using Exalted the Fair Folk for the Tuatha and Fomorian rules. 
That sounds complex. Yeah. And we got like five sessions in before scheduling killed it. Ah. I guess banality won in the end. That's still beating the average, I feel. Mm-hmm. Last but not least. Starlight Exodus, which I feel like, isn't that like a 70s band or something? I was thinking of Starlight Express, the Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah. musical. Ah, that's what I was thinking of, yes. <laughs> it's the mega happy ending, kind of. Bittersweet, at least. Yeah. Yes. The possibility of leaving the autumn world behind forever. I think this is the least annoying way to use dice. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> well, it all becomes clear why he's around. Mm-hmm. I don't mind dice. I think dice is no. fine. The suggested elements for this one are the death of the new to highlight the rise of banality, prophecy fails to highlight the hopelessness of remaining on Earth, and the red star, because as mass exodus seems more necessary, it can become a guiding star. Wait, did all these have red star? Uh, the, the purge did not. Oh, okay. And neither Could did have. pick your poison. I don't think all ten got used. I think like mm-hmm. the mists and flux doesn't appear for any of them. Mm-hmm. So the overview of this one is that as Earth gets more inhospitable to glamour, the Fae feel pulled elsewhere. And then apparently Dice has been busy going from freehold to freehold, spreading the doctrine of leaving the autumn world, at least for now. And this oath, the oath of the unknown road, which creates phylacteries, lich style, I think. Mm-hmm. They're called foci, yeah. not instruments. Yep. Your facel now lives in this object. And then Dice carries this figurine that opens portals. And I like how every time someone pulls out the figurine, it makes a thunderclap. I would just, mm-hmm. if I were the puka holding that, I would just be like every few minutes. like. I want to get like a spatula that has that effect. Perfect. Yeah. Cumulonimbic pancakes. Yeah. So when the portals to Arcadia are opened, there will be guides summoned, but only for those who have been oath sworn and are willing to make sacrifices. The thing is, Generally, I play somewhat suspicious characters, and yep. if my character hadn't met Dice before, this would all seem very much like a trap. And I don't know if that's bad necessarily. Like I, me as the writer, I still, I mean, as the reader, just of this story, I'm like, I think this is a trap. Right. It's like waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> it like. feels like a bait and switch and like a clever yeah. of violating expectations, but just being straightforward and not a trap. Yeah. <laughs> Which still works for me. I mean, you know. Yep. And the heart of the story is really around what's being left behind because there's mm-hmm. not some big thing to confront, just choices to make. And Rexman's giving about a month of yeah, planning yeah, yeah, and deciding yeah. if you're going to do it. And... Just don't die in that month because there's no time left to reincarnate. <laughs> I was like wondering, is like, are people taking their babies, like using Kenning to be like, okay, is my baby? Well, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different directions you can go. So the ones they provide are whether or not to rescue non-awake changelings, like either ones who haven't yet mm-hmm. awakened or have been undone, whether to try and free ones who are trapped, such as in mortal prisons, and I'm totally on board with a jailbreak game. Mm-hmm. Dauntane, they're still fae, can they be redeemed? And then mortal connections, dealing with all of those. So like... The one thing they didn't bring up was Leonhan. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of loose ends and questions. And I think it's interesting when you think about the composition of a table, each one Mm -hmm. is going to be unique and have its own kind of set of connections to be managed. So this scenario provides an interesting way to examine each of those in Mm -hmm. turn and be like, oh, actually, how's this going to work? Because there would have to be a lot of hard choices involved. Yeah, I think if I was running a long running changeling LARP, and I'm like, 
I've only got a few more months. I'm going to do this. I would like mm. bring this in as like, like have a session where dice shows up. And then the next session, like a month later, if I was doing it monthly, like where everyone has to decide what, or maybe you could have a few sessions where all the player characters are like deciding what they're going to do and who's going and not going. I think that could be fun. Like one session of that. Yeah. But. Yeah. It could work. Eventually though, the portals open after the month bathed in the red stars light and the mm-hmm. guides turn out to be long-lost friends and motley mates who tell them the road to Arcadia is long but worth it. And then as they enter, they refresh all of their willpower and glamour before they leave the world forever. Yep. And then it says, you know, you can definitely end it here. Maybe you should. <laughs> but most likely the players won't accept that. Yeah. So you gotta keep going. <laughs> and a quest to Arcadia is an entire chronicle in yeah. and of itself, so... Yeah, I also see some of the outcome options here as being like Tolkien style fracturing, like, you know, how the elves, some of them stayed mm-hmm. behind in Middle Earth, some of them didn't get on the yeah. boats. And they actually say like the players, even if like you could end up with all the players going, no, I'm not doing this for whatever right. reason. Yeah. And then you could run the game then. Yep. You're stuck on Earth and everything's going. It's now turning into the other banality story, <laughs> but you chose to stay in it. Or if they decide to stay in the dreaming and just live there. Now you're running yep. a dreaming game. Until, for whatever reason, they think Earth has become habitable again. Mm-hmm. Maybe by coordination with folks from scenario number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of them is, they're going to Arcadia. They're saying, definitely stop it before you get in Arcadia. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. I don't know. I mean, the stories of quiet fading with pathos mm-hmm. that are like Galadriel style, I'm, yeah. I'll admit to being kind of into those. No, I'm cool with fading. I'm just like... I don't know. I don't think I find Arcadia as cool as some people. Yeah. So it's like showing Arcadia would not ruin it for me. So I think it would for me. It has. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. But we'll get to that next season. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so those are the five scenarios. Yeah. Um, we then get some more storytelling advice, which... Yeah, it's kind of weird that the book ending is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I gather a lot of this is supposed to be scenario agnostic like mm-hmm. or not even scenario agnostic it's just kind of general storytelling advice but with the overall assumption that storytellers will want to run an end times game and i found this pretty like the stuff that bookends the beginning and the end that bookends the actual i like those i think more than the actual scenarios mm. not the, the stuff i like for about the scenarios but i like this advice it's more useful to me i guess yeah it has more broad utility so mm-hmm. it emphasizes the epicness, but also that it shouldn't just be dumped on players. Mm-hmm. And that whole in character moments are super important. Mm-hmm. And having these signs of like the dreaming fluctuating or mortal and fey relations changing, like all of those taken for granted things about the setting are the rugs that you start pulling out from under your players one by one. But just make sure it's one by one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It kind of keeps circling the idea of theme and whether or not to make it epic or subtle, how to involve mortals, all of that. It was a little bit confusing, but then it gets really deep and meta and about whether the ST wants to have their chronicle avoid winter mm-hmm. and whether one they want to plunge in headlong. There are reasons why winter is happening that are suggested, such as science or Kithane ignoring their charges for too long among mortals, imbalance due to Seely overreach, or just simply their time on earth is up. So like mm-hmm. overall, I suspect this section would have landed a lot better if it were longer in a full book. 
Like mm-hmm. if this were the last chapter in a changeling dedicated yep. book, it would have gotten the space it needed. Yeah. I'd also kind of like to read the last paragraph just in yep. its entirety. <laughs> Absolutely. So after all of this advice, and this is the last paragraph we got for changeling for 13 years, changeling the dreaming that is, it's titled waking up and it says a world without dreams. It's a difficult concept to contemplate. A world where wishes and hopes don't exist, where children don't throw coins into fountains or blow out their birthday candles, where Santa Claus is never conceived and the space under a bed can only be empty. There's no music, only silence. Without hope, without longing, without delight, laughter and sorrow dry up and fade away. There's nothing left but a bleak existence that only becomes more so. We hope that the plot devices and ideas presented in this chapter help you plan a spectacular chronicle, but they're ultimately just tools. If we are to take anything from the Fae, it's that dreams are the heart of a story. Without them, a game becomes nothing more than a series of connected events gauged by probabilities. That is the challenge of Changeling, to dream, to hope, and above all, to believe. I'm not crying, you're crying. Yeah. I like this chapter. Yeah. I agree, I would have preferred a book. I don't think we could have just taken what we have here and just turned it into chapters and expand upon it. I don't no. think that would have worked as a full book. But I'm sure everything in here probably would have worked in a book. Just I'm not sure what else it would have had, but it would have been nice. And I would like to see it. Comparing it with some of the other, with like Gehenna and Ascension stuff, though. So like Milga, for example, mm-hmm. giving him stats, that would fill up a page. <laughs> yeah. So it would have been possible, I guess. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, you just... get a whole ch- a chapter. It's like, what, you're going to get stats for the scouts? And well, then... for David. You haven't gotten any for him before, right? Yeah, they could have. Done. What I mean is that they would have done things. Yeah, give David, give. I think it would have structurally been a bit different, but I yeah. think it would have. But yeah, I agree. You couldn't just pad all of these. They would have to be mm-hmm. reconsidered and expanded. Yeah. There is also uh, a page that was cut, which we have access to. Oh, yeah, I forgot to read that. <laughs> It's pretty straightforward. So this is a page on House Danan, who did initially appear in this book, but were then cut for space reasons. And Pete Woodworth at some point provided the material along with some context. So basically, they are the ruling house of Arcadia in this book, who occasionally swoops in to rescue changelings from Thalene or Feral Chimera. Mm -hmm. Uh, The book said that they've come to find allies to defend Arcadia itself and or they're contravening their usual isolation by involving themselves in the autumn world struggles, because consequently that will stabilize Arcadia. They are suggested for the gods and monsters scenario as being harbingers of war or allies like the army of the dead was for Aragorn and Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. In the Great Purge, they can be harbingers again. They can be the guides for Tuahun scouts, or they can even be dead comrades returned Mm -hmm. as the purgers. The idea is that members of the house are invited to join between incarnations. So like your dead motley might might show up as a house done on noble, you know, mm-hmm. and then Starlight Exodus. They're potentially the guides who show up at the portals. They yeah. are split between the courts as the Skaha. Uh, their boon is that they can always find the silver path and their ban is that they can never reveal what's in Arcadia. And because of C20, this is canon now. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, some of the specifics are different, but... No, but, yeah. But Dice is the High Lord in C20, so... Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's fine that they weren't in this. I don't think the book suffered mm-hmm. without their presence. Yeah. In the full book of Endless Winter... I don't know what right. I titled it. 
they can't call it the dreaming. That would not work. <laughs> uh, yeah, they would have probably made sense to be there. But. I think winter would have been acceptable. I mean, vampires wasn't called masquerade. Yeah. So. Wait, did the mage? I haven't read Ascension. Does it actually have like mages ascending and stuff? Oh, I actually I really like Ascension, the final book. Okay. Yeah, I I recommend anyway. it. Listen to the Mage the Podcast episode for more about mm-hmm. that text. Yep. So yeah, for the chapter, I it's better to have an ending than no ending at all, for sure. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that the line had been so hollowed out by the end made yeah. this feel unearned to me. Like it's built on thin foundations, and that. Yeah. That means there's not much to make me truly care about the outcomes. Yeah. Back in when like fool's luck was being written, if it what they were obviously planning then had actually all those books had come out, it'd right. be very different. Right. So as it stands, I think it's good. I can conceive of using it, even though I don't think I mm-hmm. personally would, because I don't like doing end times games. But I almost would have rather had no specific scenarios and just lots of deep exploration of Mm-hmm. the individual elements and what winter means to the fae because i think that would give me enough mm-hmm. as a storyteller to craft my own very focused narrative and they do give a lot of those pieces so yeah 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 i just i would have been happy to have those expanded dramatically mm-hmm. <laughs> yep but it is what it is and i am happy it mm-hmm. was the first chapter in the book I'm like yeah yeah suck it demon but yeah, it was bittersweet seeing that last paragraph the first time I read it, and it was no less bittersweet this time around. I just think of the, and there's the, page, the page right after it's like demon art. I'm like, that, you yeah. know, I'm here for that being a changeling art too. But yeah. Maybe that's the one of the Fomorians. I still remember sitting in a Starbucks with my college roommate as I held this book for the first time and just like sighing deeply with my latte as I read through it. Mm. So, But yeah, that's that's the chapter. Oh yeah, that's when I sort of I had already stopped playing Changeling. <gasps> Gasp. For a while. And I didn't come back until the Changeling C twenty Kickstarter. Oh wow. Like I started playing it before we got C twenty, but mm-hmm. yeah. I had that big gap of like not running or playing Changeling in this before Time of Judgment came out and then hmm. Conversely, this book dropped right in the middle of my first serious long running weekly Changeling campaign. Mm. <laughs> so my players were like, uh, are we going to use this? I said, no. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'd broken up with someone who like, I'd met through a Changeling game. We were running Changeling games together and stuff. Oh. And then I got together with somebody who was into World of Darkness, but had no interest in Changeling. <laughs> just kind of... How dare they? So we have some questions from the Discord. Mm-hmm. Count Clockwise asks, how would you suggest pitching a Time of Judgment style game for Changeling, or indeed any World of Darkness game? How much do you have to give away to make sure everyone has the same expectations going in? I mean, if you look at the types of plots they give here, it's not like there's that much secrecy needed in it. Like, talking about what the game's going to be about and being up front with... The end of the world? Is this a solvable solvable problem or not? Yeah. Is, Is... like you, yeah, you need to say this potentially could end the world, but you also need to say, will it definitely or could it? Yeah, and both are okay, but the player should know. Which I don't think counts as giving things away. I mean, no. I think that's that that should be upfront. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and I certainly wouldn't propose a game like this until the players yeah. felt like they had run their course with their characters. Yeah, I mean, if I had like a bunch of friends and they were all like, "Well, I want to play Changeling and I want to do End of the World," I'd, I'd I'd probably give give in and do it. But like, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be a, something I'd propose to. But the expectations to me are more around what that looks like to each player. Because like I said, mm-hmm. because these scenarios are kind of miscable, 
their advantage is that if one player wants to go out in a blaze of glory and another one wants to do the bittersweet fading away thing, like you can theoretically accommodate each person. The other thing is like, is this an epic scale? Are you going to just do NPC theater at them? I guess I know some players actually like that. So that should be better than, than me. Yeah. Same, (laughs) but they, they should know going, there's a bunch of questions just like any chronicle. Yeah. But I think the specific, uh, do the characters have hope or not? Like the players, is there a chance or not that they'll survive? Yeah. Or and the questions you need to ask are much less invested in meta plot than in the big three games, mm-hmm. because the changeling meta plot has always felt a little bit less necessary to the setting in a given game. So yeah. I think like those those other questions are the ones that take center stage, which is good. I think. Yeah, but I think I think it's up to you as a storyteller. You can if you want to end your chronicle. You shouldn't just not end it because the players want it. Right, to keep, right. There's a reason you want to end it. And if you're like, I, we can either peter out or I could end things. And then let someone else story tell. Yeah. Then. From Mando. How did the individual courts react to each of the time of judgment scenarios? No data. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the like, the one with the Fomorians, it's like, maybe yep. some of the Unseelie sided with the Fomorians. Maybe they didn't. And that's about all it mentioned of it. So. I suppose the first one also has the implication that as Milka goes, so oh, yeah, goes the shadow, shadow court. court. Yeah. yeah. But there's nothing spelled out. Yeah. Well, he does say it's like a shadow court thing, but. Yeah. But but there's nothing that says like the shadow court then meets and decides that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There is a suggestion throughout that in none of these scenarios is it a time to settle grudges. So maybe there's the idea that Celia and Unsealy are kind of putting their differences aside mm-hmm. for the sake of the end of the world. Yeah, right. we should have an end of the world scenario. should have a new end of the world scenario about settling grudges. <laughs> All the grudges are settled. <laughs> Winter Dome. Yep. Elris asks, in the opinion of our hosts, which end time scenario is the most satisfying if taken as presented? Also, which is most easily modified into something palatable? Sandshaker also asks as a follow-up, which is the worst option and why? What are your votes? Okay, so for the best... I mean, I find most are palatable in some sense, but um, the... Pick your poison. Mm-hmm. That seems the one I'd lean to is for playing or running. Well, especially for playing. Running, I could tweak it whatever I want for things. But for it was like presented without the science thing. <laughs> the anti, take out the anti-science stuff, which which wouldn't even necessarily be in the chronicle, right? It's not like the players. And now the banality says it's because of science. Like, yeah, who would say that, right? So yeah, I'd say that one. And then the worst option and why it's that first one. Mm. and if we're articulated like it's just npc the like you the players have no role in it really it's just yeah. something that happens at most in the black drop it's not but if it's a plot like the actual plot in the game that's terrible and it doesn't end the world yeah <laughs> it's the basic thing it's supposed to do is end the world so it ends the government of one place yeah <laughs> For me, well, pick your poison could go either way. I think it could either be like the best or the worst, depending on how you do it. And either way, you're going to have to put some work in, but I think it could become one of the most satisfying. But aside from that, I do like Starlight Exodus and I dislike Gods and Monsters because I'm not Mm -hmm. really into the cosmic level battle stuff. So yeah, yeah, I'm more mid on both. But like you said, I think all of them are palatable. I don't mm-hmm. think any of them are truly horrendous. But all of them I would also tweak if I was running it. Oh, yeah. Not run any of these as written at all. Yeah. And but, the book encourages you to do so. And they've already given me inspirations for things that aren't even under the world, so. Yeah. 
Mondo asks, what are your thoughts on the tithed ones and how do you think they could be implemented in non-Time of Judgment Chronicles? Aside from referring you to Harbingers of Winter on the Storyteller's Vault, uh, I like them as a sudden and dangerous foe, but I would want their nature to always remain unclear. So they mm. might be the souls displaced by the Shi and empowered by presumably Fomorians, or they might be something else entirely. That's yeah. my... I don't like them as what happened to the souls of the Shi. Like the souls of the Shi coming back and being angry, I like, but the, like the details they give, I don't like for that. Like, why do they have bodies now? And why didn't the Shi need them? <laughs> I like I have this idea, maybe I'd write up at some point I sort of started writing up, but we'll see. Where they come back like the she and start taking over bodies and create this endless cycle of retribution and Irony. Whatever. Yeah. Like that could be cool. But like why do they get a body if the she needed them but their body? What? But yeah. that's see, that's what I, I like though, the idea that this is what the she think they are. You know? Yeah. Almost like it doesn't matter what their true metaphysical origins are. It's like this is what the she believe. Yeah. I mean, running them... The idea of Tithe Ones, I like. Mm. Like, or or you have basically Changeling the Lost right? with the Tithe Ones being the Lost and the She being the Fetches. Like, Kind of, yeah. Seb, how do you feel about the roles of the Twaha in the Time of Judgment's nearest their in? How do you feel about the inability to fight the Fomorians head-on? I like the Twaha being just as dangerous and nightmarish as the Fomorians, just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Didn't mind that at all. And there were comments on the Discord that fighting the Fomorians head-on requires a certain level of power, which I'm not really aiming for in my games. Mm -hmm. But I wish there had been more about the idea of like a bit player influencing things at just the right moment to change the course of events. Not necessarily one ring style, although that's like the triumph cask. It's like, you know, I weep that we didn't get keys to the kingdom because maybe we would have had something there. But more like mary stabbing the witch king in the shin that's the kind of like moment yeah. that i would want to see in a big battle game like that but yeah for players who do like the big epic battles and or friendly to her i can i guess understand that the presentation here might be a little bit of a letdown it's just it's not for me personally mm-hmm. yeah i'm of the opinion this is disagreement with a lot of white wolf stuff yeah. over the years i think I mean, they're saying, okay, don't put stats to a thing you don't want your player characters to kill or fight or whatever. Cool, right? Don't give the dreaming a, t- a character sheet or something, right? If you're gonna, though, bring in an antagonist, they should then have stats. They should be interactable. They should be thwartable. And just, no, they're godlike beings and you can't do anything. I don't like mm. that, especially in Changeling. Like, I don't want that. So, like, that's why I want to have... I've been, like, using coming up with stats for Fomorians and Tuaha, and if I'm going to use them in the game, they'll have stats. They'll be scary. I'm not saying, like, one-on-one competition player characters would, like, have really much of a chance, but, like, you know, if they're clever and they work together and they figure things out, they should be, and they do some things at just the right time, maybe they should be able to turn the tables. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah. Well, thanks for the questions, everybody. Mm-hmm. All yeah. good ones. It's a momentous kind of thing to be commenting on, so, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the most per page in Changeling I think we got. Of yeah, things. I think Chris Howard beat it at least once. <laughs> so. Okay, maybe not Dreams Maybe not dreams and Nightmares. That was yeah. three episodes. And, and but... that too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was like a Dreams and Nightmares chapter. Nah, it might even be a bit more than one chapter of Dreams and Nightmares. But yeah, anyway. It is quite, quite swole with ideas. Mm-hmm. 
But that's the end of second edition. Mm-hmm. And all the other... I just find it funny. Everything else in this book is revised. So what edition is this? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you can find us at changelythepodcast.com. You can listen to us, watch the picture of it with while listening to us on YouTube for Change of the Podcast on YouTube. We have a Facebook page, Change of the Podcast. You can send us a toot on Mastodon at changelypod at dice.com. Please join us on Discord if you into Discord, discord.me slash ctp. Please check out our Patreon, and if you if you have a few bucks to spare to help us, that would be very helpful for Changeling the Podcast on Patreon. And you can always send us an email, too. Um, people have been doing that. Podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. And all links will be provided in the notes to this episode. Yep. And once again, I'm Josh. I have been Puka. Oh, shoot. I forgot who I am. All's well that ends well. Still finds the crown. Whatever the course, the end is the renown. If we're going to get meta about what changeling as a game means to its players, perhaps the third scenario, Pick Your Poison, is indeed the truest option from this book. For over a decade after the end of second edition, fans kept the game alive in the local dreamings of their own tables, in conversations and gaming groups, on forums and message boards, or even just in their memories. And at the end of that winter, spring came again in the form of the 20th anniversary edition. Continuing that tradition as the wheel spins onwards, we hope this podcast will be a refugium of dreams, fostering connection and discussion, as well as the ongoing creation of new material for the line. To that end, we're very grateful for the support of our listeners. You're all deserving of cumulonimbus pancakes and associated delights, but the finest of meteorological breakfasts are reserved for our patrons, who are Derek, Dorchidas, Oreo, Razkabuz, Sandjigger, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. Extra special thanks to them. If you too would like to get a shout out at the end of each episode, please consider signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. You can also help us out by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience and or telling others about our show. Stop by our Discord at www.discord.me slash ctp to take part in conversations around where we'll be headed in Season 3. However much you feel like participating, we offer our deepest gratitude for your listens, and until next time, keep on dreaming.